So we're in the middle of our series called The Gospel According to John. Now, last week, we looked at perhaps one of the famous conversation between Jesus and the Pharisee named Nicodemus. That's John chapter 3. And today, we're, gonna, we're still going to be on chapter 3, and perhaps even more famous than the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, that is John 3.16. And John 3.16 is so famous that I believe for many Christians, this is the very first verse that they memorize as Christian. And many Christians even, not only it's the first that they memorize, it's the only one that they memorize or that they still remember. And because it is a very important verse for our faith, for our Christian faith, John 3, 16. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. However, I would like to say that while it is so familiar, this verse, John 3, 16, there are many Christians who do not fully understand the meaning of this verse. Because we, we like how it sounds, but we never really study it thoroughly, what it means, or even read it in context. So, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at John 3.16 in its context. And that's how we should read our Bible. Um, there's no other way we, in, in, when it comes to reading the scripture than to, to read it in context. So what do I mean by that? I think uh, I just want to quickly say to read the Bible is actually quite straightforward. It's, it's not a tricky or difficult thing to do if we know the basic method of reading the scripture. And I would call it, I mean, this, this is how I read my Bible and this is how I prepare my sermon. It's in three steps. Well, I call it CMS. Um, the first C is context, reading in context. And the second one is M, which is the meaning. Once we read in context, then we can try to understand what does it mean, right? And then the third thing is the S, which is what I call so what? what how does it apply to me? the so what part, the CMS. So it's important to get to the so what and because otherwise then this become, uh, when we read it, when we understand it become just head knowledge. It'll make us proud people. Uh, the Bible says knowledge puffs up until it, not until it transforms our hearts, we, we, we answer the question of so what that it applies into our lives, into our hearts, that it become transforming. Um, transformative uh, into our life. So, so CMS, that's how we read Bible. Now, so that's what we're going to do um, in, in applying that in CMS, uh, using CMS in John 3.16 today. So what is John 3.16? Most of us would be able to recite this uh, by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So I'm going to look at that verse. I'm going to look at the whole passage as well, 16 to 21, and also the context of it. All right. So that's what we're going to aim to do. And we're going to look at three things to help us out, to help the flow of this study or this sermon today. The first one is the need for God's love. So John 3 thinks it's about God's love. Okay. So if you missed that. Uh, so first one is the need for God's love. The second one is the expression of God's love, and finally, the response to God's love. So the need, the expression, and the response to God's love, okay? So the need for God's love. 
Now, John 3.16. See, the thing with something that is so familiar with us, when, see, when, when you read the Bible and when you get to a section that you're so familiar with, oftentimes we miss more than we gain. Because we, we thought we know this, the verse already. Uh, we read it so many times. So when we read it, we read it so quickly that we miss a lot of it. Um, but when we get to a Bible where, where it's not familiar with us, we would slow down, we would read carefully, and we try to understand what is this trying to say here? So John 3.16, I think, is one of those verses that we are so familiar with that we, we, when we get to it, we just read so quickly that we miss a lot from it. So, so I'm going to slow down a little bit in the beginning by looking at this. The word for, that's how it started, for God so loved the world, right? The word for um, is a marker of cause or reason for clarification. So the word for in Greek word gar is, is the marker for clarification or reason, okay? So what he's telling us is this, that there's something that goes before this sentence or this verse. You cannot just, uh, well, in the, in the Greek, gar, for, never comes in the beginning of a sentence or, or, or a paragraph or a book or a passage because it comes after clarifying something that comes before it. So we cannot understand this verse if you do not look what comes before this verse, okay? Gar will never come at the beginning of a book or a passage. It has to come to describe or to clarify something that has been said before. So John 3.16 is that. Its purpose is to clarify what comes before verse 16. So that's the first thing I want to say. And the second thing I want to say is the word so. It says, for God so loved the world. Now that word so in Greek is hutos. Hutos is not, does not mean very much. Okay? Is that not... So we cannot say for God's love the world so much, replacing the word so to so much or very much, because the Greek word utos does not mean very much. So the word so here does not mean so much or very much. Rather, the word so is in this manner. So in this manner, basically. Okay, so that's utos uh, in this manner. So now you're telling me, because initially, I said, reading the Bible, if you apply CMS, you can understand it yourself. You don't need, you know, to be, to be expert in the Bible to understand it. Now, after explaining the word for and so to you, you might come to me and say, well, I would not be able to figure that out uh, by just reading the Bible. Uh, well, like, let me say this. You can, uh, if you slow down and pay attention. Let me show you how you can do that. Because what I've done that is just read the scripture. Uh, you don't really have to go to Greek, even though I did. Uh, you don't have to. Uh, if, if, you, if you're using ESV Bible, like I do, and, and that's our preferred uh, Bible translation for our church in uh, Rock City Church, uh, ESV translation, if you use that, you would notice, for God's all of the world, and then you, you will see a footnote annotation on that, on that sentence. Right? And then if you look at the corresponding notes on that footnote, it will say this. For this is how God loved the world. Do you see that? So in the footnote would say, 
to describe to, to to explain for God's all of the world. It says it actually means for this is how God loved the world. So that's how you can understand it, and you would have missed that if you read so quickly. Okay, there's a little footnote and explain to us what does that mean. You don't have to go to Greek. Okay, now. So what comes before John 3.16? I say for, or the word gar in Greek, explaining or clarifying something that comes before it. So what comes before it is verse 14 to 15. And let me read for all of us, which we read last week, but I didn't go much into detail because knowing that I'm gonna explain it more today. All right, so John 14, John 3, 14 to 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world. So that comes after that, right? Now, what Jesus is saying here in 14 and 15 is this, that He actually compared Himself to the bronze servant that's been lifted up, that's been created by Moses, made by Moses, and been lifted up in the wilderness for the people of God, the Israelites, to look at. And you can find that incident, that, that story there in Numbers 21. Um, and let me just summarize it, what happened there. Um, so the, the people of God, they've been taken out of slavery from Egypt. And, they, and, and they're in the wilderness and they grumble against God. They said, you know, there's no water here. There's no food here. You know, they're just grumbling. They complain to God, it's better for our lives to be in Egypt, even though we are slaves, we had food to eat. Now we are, you know, starving or we're just not comfortable. The wilderness is never comfortable. So they complain about God and God sends serpents in the midst of them and bite them. And there are many of them who die because of that. And the people complain and come to Moses uh, and, and basically say, you know, help us. And this is what they say in Numbers 21, verse seven. And the people came to Moses and said, we have seen for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord. So they plead with Moses, pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And so Moses pray for the people of God. Now, so they were, so the, there are those who died and there are those who are dying because of the venom from the serpents. So they plead with Moses to pray to God, to help them out, to heal them. So what did God say? And that's in verse Numbers 21, verse eight to nine. It's, it's important for us to understand this, okay? Uh, and the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent. This is verse eight. And set it on a pole and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, sees the bronze serpent, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent beat anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and leave. And Jesus say in verse, uh, in John 3, verse 14, and Moses just, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Do you see that? Those who look up to the serpent will live. Those who look up to Jesus, believe in Jesus, will have eternal life. So Jesus make a comparison there. Now, so what, how does it apply to us? This is so what part, right? So we look at the context, uh, we look at what Jesus meant, 
so the C and M. Now the S, so what? How does it apply to us? You and I are like the people in the wilderness. Only that we don't realize it. The people in the wilderness realize, the people of Israelite, uh, the, the people of God, the Israelites realize they've been beaten. They have, they have poisoned their venom running their vein, down their vein. They're dying. You and I are dying. You and I had poisoned in us, but not in our vein, but deep down in our heart. We don't realize it like the people of Israel, people of Israel, that they're dying. And for us to be healed of that poison, of that venom in our hearts, also known as sin, we need to look at Jesus on the cross. The Son of Man shall be lifted up. Whoever believes, look, behold him, shall live and have eternal life. And in our way, if you can think about it, in our way, our poison is more dangerous, isn't it? Because if the people of God in the wilderness get beaten, they know they get beaten. They know they need to seek help. Many of us today may have this poison in our hearts, but we don't realize it. It's a, like a silent killer. We don't know that we're dying. We don't know that we need help. So in a sense, uh, you know, uh, our, our poison, it's uh, much more subtle than the poison that infect the Israelites in the wilderness. John the Baptist declares earlier in chapter 1, verse 29, which we have read before, when he announced Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Basically, he said this, Behold, is an old word, a biblical word that says, Look, fix your eyes, pay attention on Jesus, the Lamb of God. What does he do? Who takes away the sin of the world. So how, how does God show his love for us? The Bible says in John 3, 16, in this way. For God loved the world in this way. For God so loved the world. Remember what so? Meaning in this manner, in this way. So how God show his love for us in this way. In what way? God show the love for this world by giving his only son, his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. So Jesus explained to Nicodemus in the beginning of chapter three, to be born again is to behold him, to behold the son of man on the cross. That, how you, that is how you, you're born again, get born again. Jesus' death on the cross, that is God's way of showing love to us. So how does God show his love for us? On the cross. And that's what Jesus said. And how do we get born again? This is continuing on Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus by beholding Jesus on the cross. Just like the people in the wilderness who, who were bitten by servants beholding the serpent. Second point, the expression of God's love. So we, we have need for God's love because we're dying without God's love. Now the expression of God's love. Well, as I said before, while John 3 things often uh, read and preached 
but oftentimes we don't fully understand because we don't look at it in context. So we, we have looked at the context of four that explain what comes before, but what comes after that, all right? So when, when we talk about context is we read before and after, basically, okay? So we read before, now what comes after? Verse 17 and 18, John 3, verse 17 and 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be safe through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Now, many people may not like this verse at all. They say, if there is a God, then God cannot possibly send people to hell. People don't like this verses because he say condemns people and he says well if there's God the idea of of a wrathful God is to people that condemns people to hell is repugnant to our society right God is love God does not punish love is love how can God who is love condemns people to hell not only to hell but eternal punishment eternal hell our society doesn't like this I think that can be right. Uh, the question is, where, where does such belief come from? Okay, where, 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 why would people think that way? And if your friends come to you, if perhaps you have that kind of belief, then you have to ask, why do I believe that? Why do I believe God is love? If God is love, then God cannot be possibly condemns people to eternal punishment. What, 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 where do we get that? Well, I believe it's, it's because of our cultural biases. Now, let me explain that. I'm going to explain this in a bit of length. In a postmodern and post-Christian, post-everything culture like us in Australia, we often think that we are a better judge when it comes to morality than many nations, many societies in the world, don't we? We have that kind of attitude towards the rest that we know better we have a better moral standards that our human rights are uh the top you know and they're those who abuses people in other nations that should follow us that should follow our rules our law because we know better and and we often impose our culture biases to this other society or nations let me explain let me let me give example for example uh, for us, in, in our culture, in our society, for two people, two adults, to walk along the street in the marketplace or in the street of Melbourne, uh, for two adults to, to be out together holding, it, holding hands and, you know, it, it's perfectly fine, isn't it? Two unmarried adults holding hands, walking down the street, enjoying their day. That's perfectly fine, perfectly acceptable in our society. But in some society, two unmarried people holding hands, men and women, not married, holding hands, that is punishable by law. Do you realize that? And, and we would look at that, well, that is so backward. That is so backward and that is um, infringement of uh, human rights. They should change their backward law and follow us because we know better, because Two adults can do whatever they want. 
whether they're married or not, they can hold hands and walking down the street, whatever. Um, but in some culture, that's not acceptable. And we, we see that, well, they, they, that, that is wrong. Okay. So that's one example. Another example is, let's see from their point of view, this other culture point of view. They would say, if, yes, they may not accept, you know, men, women, unmarried, holding hands or getting in a cab together. Um, but for them, it's perfectly fine for a revenge law, eye for an eye. If someone who who's been has been blinded accidentally or not, they have the right. The law protect that that they can gouge out the other person's eye, an eye for an eye, right? Revenge law—it's perfectly acceptable for them. It makes sense, you know. You kill my son, I should be allowed to kill your son, or kill you. That's perfectly acceptable in some society, and. And just because it's perfectly fine for them, imagine what would you say if they say, well, you Australians, you should apply that as well because it's okay for us. It should be okay for you. If it's good for us, it should be good for you. They would say, no way. We can't accept that. Now, that's cultural biases. They are not moral absolutes. Okay, they are not moral absolutes. Just because, what I'm trying to say is this, there's something in, some, in, in our cultures uh, that our culture considers to be uh, moral absolutes that it's not actually, that there are actually just cultural biases. It's, it's the influence of our society. They're not moral absolute. And, and movies, movies do this all the time. Um, this tension between one culture and another. Movie use this to make it exciting, okay? Now, uh, for example, a movie will be set in a particular time and place uh, with a set of cultural norms that is different to us. And that, that would then create a tension in the movie. And, and the break from that norm, from that tension, from that cultural norm, the break from it, in other words, the, the release <coughs> of that tension would, would be seen as a heroic moment. That would be like the, where, where you, where you, in, the, in the movie where we'll, you'll hear the, the theme music, the theme song being played in the background. That, that, that's the clue, like, hey, this is, this is the break of, of the cultural biases, uh, cultural no Movie employs this technique all the time. And the, the latest movie, Mulan, for example, uh, set in a patriarchal society where you know man leads man has the authority and a good woman is someone who cooks who stay home who clean who bear lots of children so that's that's where mulan uh time sets in in pat pat patriarchal society now of course we know if you know a bit of mulan um story she's a woman but see she She's not the typical kind of woman. She's a strong woman who, who would be, you know, equal almost in strength and skill in fighting and in war with men. And so, but she cannot go to war be, on behalf of her ailing father because simply because she's a woman. That's a tension there, right? Uh, for our culture, we see that, well, that is so backward. 
She should be able to. Well, the movie's created in this way. The story's been created in this way to create tension uh, intentionally. Now, uh, she has to pretend that she's a man in order for her to be out there in the war on behalf of her family. She has to pretend. And, and this is an attention, right? We, we, we live in a society that loves uh, honesty, you know, that says, be who you are, uh, show your true self. When, when we see Mulan hiding her identity, we say, oh man, that is so not good. Like, this is intentional, right? So this make it exciting. Now, many, many movies are just like that. Now, but Mulan, the tension is released when she, she no longer hide herself. When she come out, so to speak, the tension is breaking, was broken when she suddenly say, well, I'm a, I'm a woman, right? And in that moment, suddenly she become uh, a much better fighter, a much complete fighter. Everyone, you know, all the other men follow her and we go, yay, go on, you know, go woman, girl's power and that kind of stuff, right? Uh, but that, that is intentional. That's a break of tension. Mulan um, no longer has to pretend. She has to just be herself. You know why that kind of movie, that kind of plot works? Because it started with the tension that we don't agree, a cultural biases that we don't agree with. And then the movie breaks into this tension, into, a, into, into our cultural norm, what is acceptable for us. And that is good thing, right? Now, documentaries does this, but in a different way. Uh, documentaries, a good documentary anyway, usually a documentary that give us a picture of a totally different cultural norms, but never kind of break it for us. So we are, we are being taken into this journey of this, ooh, they're so different to me till the end. And then we go, wow, there's such a world, uh, such a group of people out there that's so different to us. Uh, so that's, that's usually a good documentary. So usually a documentary about different culture that we are not familiar with, you know? And we say, wow, that is, that is amazing. I didn't know that. And, and that's what it's all about. It's cultural biases, cultural norms. So what's all that? Why, why did I say all that? Well, it's my long way of trying to say truth is not simply something that is acceptable as normal by our society or the prevailing culture of the time. It could just be cultural biases, okay? Now, there, the reason I explain that is this, because there are many, 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 many arguments against Christianity that people would say, this is truth. God is love. God cannot be possibly punishing love. Or because, you know, God is love. He cannot be punishing uh, anyone who do things out of love and that he cannot be possibly condemning people to eternal death. God is love. God does not condemn people to hell. Now, the, the, the Bible, what we just read here and in, in the context of John 3.16, clearly put eternal life and eternal damnation side by side. Love of God and the wrath of God, the condemnation of God, side by side. And that's what the Bible says. <clears throat> this is important um, for us to see. Let's, let's look at verse 18 again. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, 
But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So while we can say, so this is what it means. While we can say, believing in Jesus, we, by believing in Jesus, we will be saved. We can say that, but we cannot say, by not believing, we will be condemned. Let me say that again, okay? It's perfectly fine to read that verse and say, by believing in Jesus, we will be saved, but we cannot read that first and say, by not believing in Jesus, we will be condemned. We cannot say that. Why? Well, it says this in verse 18. So this is where we slow down. The verse 18 says, whoever does not believe is condemned already. Your not believing does not condemn you. By not believing, you prove that you're condemned. That's what the Bible says. That's a huge difference, okay? So the world is telling us, you know, because I do this, then God sent me to hell. No, the Bible says, by not believing, you show that you're already condemned. That's a, that's a big difference. I hope you see that difference, right? That there cannot be God's love without God's wrath. That's what the Bible says. There cannot be God's uh, love without God's wrath. What happened here is, uh, it's like this, the serpent in the, in the wilderness that Jesus explained to us. They, they did not die just because they say, I don't want to look at the serpent. I don't want to behold the serpent. Because I, I didn't do that, I died. That's not true. What's true is, because they look at it, they get healed. If they don't look at it, they're already dying. That's what the Bible says. They're already sick from the poison. Whether they, whether they look at the serpent or, serpent or not, whether they're believing in Jesus or not, we are already condemned. But by believing in Jesus, we will be healed. We will have eternal life that's what the bible says so love and wrath the bible always talk about that the same in the same level because one cannot exist without the other love and wrath are two sides of the same coin now i don't know any parents for example who would say they love their children but then would be perfectly fine when they look at their children destroying their life by taking drugs, having bad influence um, in their life, mixed with the wrong kinds of friends. If the parents love their children, the parents will be so angry, would make sure they would take their kids out of that environment, right? Love and anger, love and wrath always goes together. When you love someone, you'll be angry to see that someone, to, the, to see that person destroying their life. And that's what's happening here with God. For God loved us. He doesn't want us to throw away our life, to be condemned forever. But we have a choice, right? We can refuse him. We can not believe in him. And in that case, the Bible says, we are condemned already. So the extent of God's wrath then show us in a sense. See, people say, well, God's wrath, that is ex extreme. Why it has to be eternal punishment? 
Well, the extent of God's wrath show us the depths of God's love. The more you, the, the deeper you love someone or something or a cause, the more anger or the more wrath and fury you have for that cause. That's our second point. Our final point, the response then from our heart, you and I, of God's love, the response to God's love. Well, there are two possible responses, isn't it, from what we've seen. The first one will lead to eternal life and the other one will lead to eternal damnation. Now, verse 19 and 20, John 3, 19 and 20. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. We've seen that our rejection of Jesus, not believing Jesus, does not inject venom into our vein. Our rejection of Jesus does not do that. We already poisoned. Our hearts is already dark in sin, darkened in sin. But rather than a rejection for medicine. So when you reject Jesus, when we reject believing in Jesus, we reject the solution. We reject the medicine that is being prescribed to us. When people reject to behold and believe in Jesus, the Bible says in verse 18 and nine, uh, in verse 19 and 20 here is this, that they will continue living and loving the darkness. And it's important to see here that they live in darkness, love sin and do evil works because they are in darkness, not the other way around. Okay, it's not that they're in darkness because they do evil works and they love sin. They love sin and they do evil works because they are in darkness. So, and then the Bible says to love the darkness is to hate the light. See the contrast there? If you love the darkness, you will hate the, dark, uh, the light. And we sin, in a sense, we sinned uh, because we love it. Okay, to the other side of the coin is we sinned uh, because we love it. We do not, uh, we do not uh, need much external convincing when it comes to sin, do we? You know, we do not need the, uh, you know, the, the whole marketing to, to sort of like entice us to sin. We want to be enticed. We want to be tempted because our hearts desire, our darkened hearts desire it. We want it. We want to convince ourselves that it is good for us. But that's a lie, isn't it? It's a total lie. Somehow we often, when we sin and we fall and we realize that we often blame Satan for it, you know, Satan's always been the scapegoat here uh, in our lives. We say, oh, Satan does it, but it's not. Yes, Satan does lies and twisted the words, but oftentimes our hearts desire it. We want it because sin looks so beautiful, looks so good, and we desire it. Of course, uh, we desire because we do not realize that it is killing us. And that's what the Bible is trying to, to tell us when it says, when it compared Jesus, looking at Jesus and look at the serpent. We are dying. It's already condemning us by not believing in Jesus, by not looking at Jesus. 
we're refusing like an old man, like an old person stubbornly refused to take the medication. Uh, there are many people who, uh, who says, you know, uh, who, who, who smoke like crazy and, and say, well, you know, and, and people tell them that you, if you keep smoking, you're going to die of, you know, lung cancer. Say, nah, you know, I've, I've been smoking for 30 years, 40 years, and I'm fine. You know, my dad smoked all his life and he survived, you know, he, he died when he's 80 and that kind of stuff. People, people need no convincing in that sense. It's hard when, when they, they hearts already wanting it and desiring it. But sin is poisoning us slowly and we're not realizing it like a deadly gas that we cannot see. Unlike the venom from the serpents, our sin is like a poisonous gas that's colorless. When we breathe in or refuse to behold Christ Jesus, we'll be dead. We are dying already. The Bible says we already condemn. So the first response is to reject God's love, right? The response to God's love is to reject it, to not believing in it, to refuse to believe in it. And the other response to God's love is this in verse 21, John 3, 21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works has been carried out in God. Now, this is another important thing uh, because some people may think, well, then I, I can take credit for my faith in God. I can take credit for, for the fact that I'm in the light. I can take credit for all my good works. But notice how it says in verse 21, when you are in the light, it says, so that it may be clearly seen that, what, that his works has been carried out in God. The works that has been carried out in God can be clearly seen. Basically says that all the good things that you do is because you're in the light and that is because it's been carried out in God. There's nothing you can take credit for. It's just like saying before, uh, people sin because they are in darkness. What he's saying here is all our good works is because we're in the light. Because of what Christ has done for us. And this is the good news. I'm going to close with this verse from Romans 8, 1 to 2. I think it's very related to this, closely related to this. Romans 8, 1 to 2 says this. There is therefore now no condemnation, no more condemnation, for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So here it says there's no condemnation if you're in Christ Jesus, when you behold Christ Jesus, when you're born again. And he compared the law of the spirit of life that gives life in Christ Jesus to another law. What kind of law? The law of sin that leads to death. So there's always that comparison. If there's eternal life, then there's eternal death. The depths of God's love can be seen also then in the, to the extent of God's wrath for sin. Now that's amazing truth. In Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. We all will be healed. We will all have eternal life. The question is, how is that possible? 
How is that possible? You know, we talk about God's love that is so deep also means God's wrath that is so heavy and so scary, right? Then how is it possible that in Christ we have no condemnation? When we are so sinful, we're so sinful and so darkened in our hearts that we don't even realize that we are dying, that we're breathing this deadly gas every day. How is that possible then? It's possible because Jesus took upon himself the full weight of God's wrath upon his shoulders on that cross. So God poured out his complete and the fullness of God's wrath upon his only begotten son so that it is possible for us to have no condemnation. The Israelites do not notice how the Israelites, I'm going to close with this and we're going to have a Holy Communion together. So if you have not prepared, don't worry about it. Um, I want you to get this. The Israelites with the venom in their vein do not need to grab hold of the serpent, the bronze serpent. They do not have to do anything but to simply look. Why? Such, such a simple thing. They sin. They sin against God and God says, just look and you'll be healed. The question is why? Why so simple? I think there's a reason for that. Because people say also the same questions. Do how can I have eternal life? And Christians would say, just believe in Jesus' name. Just believe in Jesus. Look upon Jesus and believe in him. And we say, how is that possible? That seems so simple. Well, it is simple because God doesn't want us to take credit. You know, if God says, you got to grab hold of this serpent, you know, like only five people can hold on to that bronze serpent, then people will fight to get to that bronze serpent and only the strong, only the able, only the smart, only the clever, only, only those who have the wealth or the money to do it will be safe. But how about the rest and the weak and the poor and the disabled? What happened to them? They will never be safe. But that is not salvation in Christ. Salvation in Christ basically say, just look and believe. Anyone can look. Anyone can look. So that we don't have to, so that we cannot boast and take credit for what we have in Christ Jesus. So therefore, I want to invite all of us, if you not look to Jesus, if you're not a Christian, why don't you come and fix your eyes upon Jesus this morning? Fix our eyes on that, on our crucified Savior and be healed. Let us pray.